tonight, praise the Lord. I want to pray before we get into our message tonight. These are scriptures that we have been making available now for quite a while. They're on cards out in the, the uh, foyer, and you can download these as well if you have a device that allows you to do that. You can download it from our website, and, um, and you can put them so you can use them every day. It's important that we are constantly hearing these kinds of scriptures because we're in a world where we're going to need them. Sooner or later, all of us are going to need these truths, and probably uh, there are going to be people we know and people we love that also are going to need them, and so that's why you need to go ahead and start sharing them with people. Now, when people begin to speak these, if they're not familiar with faith principles and they're not familiar with what we call the message of confession, they may not see the point and they may not sense immediately that there's any change in their lives. But I promise you that if you consistently, consistently speak the word of God, and that's, that's what these are, these are scriptures, not commentary, but scriptures. When you constantly speak the word of God into your situation, out loud, then something begins to change in your life. And you cannot be the same. And God's word will always bring a good change. Nothing to hurt you, nothing to harm you. You can't overdose on God's medicine. Amen. So I, um, I encourage you to do this. And uh, don't just do it for, you know, once or twice or just once a week. But do this every day. Do this every single day. Just like maybe you drink coffee every day. Just like you take a shower every day, we hope. Just like you, you uh, do certain things every day. You brush your teeth every day. Well, make this a part of that. And if for some reason you come to the end of the day and you haven't done it, then make sure you do it before you go to sleep. Amen. Keep putting the word in. Because if you put the word in, faith will come out. Amen. And faith coming out of your mouth is what's going to move mountains and change your life. Amen. So, Father, we're thankful for these beautiful, wonderful scriptures that we're studying. And as we meditate together on these great truths and look at some of the peripheral issues involving these scriptures, going off on some of these little side journeys, we just trust the Holy Ghost in each of these services to take us the direction you want us to go. Lord, we have the outline here, we have your words, your scriptures, but we want to be sensitive and open to the Holy Spirit, whatever he might say. And Lord, tonight there perhaps is someone listening to me that is desperate in the physical arena. They are desperately in need of healing. There might be others, Lord, that are battling something that's chronic. It comes and goes. It gets better, then it gets worse. It comes and goes all the time. I don't know all the situations, but we do understand that there are physical issues that can be quite taxing, they can be expensive, they can be costly in what they cost us in time, and they can be also expensive in what they cost us medically, all kinds of problems. We understand, Lord, that sickness is a curse. There's no doubt about it. And as you reveal that to us, 
and especially in Deuteronomy 28, we understand and see that every sickness and every disease, whether it was listed in that list in Deuteronomy 28 or not listed according to the 61st verse, it's a part of the curse from which Christ has redeemed us. So we declare our redemption and we exercise our redemptive rights and we declare that we are the healed, not the sick. In Jesus' name tonight, we thank you for your word. Open it to us. Help us to hear from heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, we give you the glory. Amen. Well, we've come so far down the list that we are not going to go back and start at the top and come all the way down with these. But, of course, they're available to you, and hopefully you are using them already, and you know that they're there. But last time the, we met, last week, or a week before last, actually, because last week we had a guest, but two weeks ago, we finished in Psalm 1720. And that verse says, he sent his word and healed them. And so we talked about that. We, we talked about the context of that verse and how that, it actually talks about these people were fools. It's being described. And because of their iniquities and their transgressions, they had become afflicted. But yet, because they cried unto the Lord in their distress, and obviously cried in repentance, the Lord sent his word and healed them. And that should give us a lot of encouragement, because we don't consider ourselves fools, do we? We're not living hypocritical lives. We're not openly practicing sin and all the things that could have been uh, connected with those people he was referring to in Psalm 107. And so we're covenant children. We're seeking to serve the Lord. And to live for him. And to be called by the name of Christ Jesus. And so how much more? How much more would this apply for us? And God sends his word and brings healing to us. Now, the next one on the list is also uh, a scripture that deals with the word. And um, we are making application here uh, to, to healing. It applies in other areas as well. Excuse me. And um, it's Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 11. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. So this obviously is God talking. He says, It shall not return unto me. So notice he sends it, anticipating it to be returned. That's always God's intention when he sends his word, that it will be returned. He said, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It won't come back empty. It won't come back void of power and void of its effectiveness. He says, but it, and he's talking about his word, shall accomplish that which, God says, that which I please. And it, his word, shall prosper in the thing, God says, whereto I sent it. Now, you probably already know the answer to the question, but I've got to ask it. Whose job is it to return the word? It's ours. That's one of the greatest revelations you can ever have concerning your Bible. It's not just bedtime reading. It's not just something to read when you need to fall asleep. It's not just history, even though it contains ancient and accurate history. It's, it's not 
just a book with a lot of good instructions, even though it is a wonderful instructional booklet or book. But the Word of God is a living, vital Word, and God sends His Word into the earth. Now, the sending part, He takes responsibility for as He raises up His people and has done so to declare and proclaim His Word. And that's what I'm doing tonight. That's what any called minister will do. Uh, God sends His Word through ministers. He actually sends it through you if you open your Bible and speak it aloud. But you do understand that not every generation prior to ours had that privilege. Uh, we haven't always had printing presses and all of that. And so there was a time in the world when most people were illiterate. And they depended on somebody to tell them the Word. They depended on the oral tradition, you might say, of receiving God's Word. And so they would listen. In synagogues in Jewish days, most of them were small. Uh, most of them would uh, not be very large, and uh, they would gather on their Sabbath, and they would begin to um, uh, hear the word, and someone would read it. You remember the story uh, of Jesus when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, and how that he stood up to read? That would have been a customary thing, and it would also mean that that was something Jesus had probably done before. It wasn't a strange thing that he would be a reader, because you see, not everybody sat there like you sit tonight with access to a Bible, either in printed form or on, a, on an electronic device. I mean, if those people could see what privileges we have, they, it, it would blow their mind, as we say. And so uh, Jesus would stand up and read from a scroll. It wasn't a printed book, a bound book like we have. He would read from the scroll, and that's when he read from the prophet Isaiah and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, and everybody got mad at him. It's funny how some things never change. It seems that, that there are certain scriptures when you declare that this is for you, this still makes people angry. But it's true nonetheless. But the point is, they would hear this word. And then uh, it was important for people then to memorize what they heard because so few would have had written scriptures. And so when there's, you know, you see, especially in the Old Testament, all that emphasis on meditation. And meditation means to mutter and speak as to oneself. It actually means to talk to yourself. And it has to, and, and meditation, if you fully and, and regularly meditate, you will begin to memorize. Even if you're not necessarily trying, you'll just begin to grasp hold of things and things will begin to be a part of you. Uh, memorization. I'm sorry, uh, um, uh, meditation. Meditation actually puts you into the Scripture. Because if you meditate a Scripture and you mutter that Scripture, you say that Scripture, you begin to see yourself in that verse. And then also, simultaneously, meditation puts that Scripture in you. And so, once you get to that place, then you can't be talked out of it. It becomes a part of you. It is a part of you. And, and the devil can't take it away from you, and nobody else can take it away from you. And so God sends his word. And, of course, one of the primary ways, but we know that there are other ways now that we can use, but one of the primary ways he's going to do it is through one of his servants within the kingdom who are declaring to you what the word says. 
So God sends his word. He, he breathed it first, and he spoke his word so it could be written, and then it was written so that it could be spoken. And so uh, he sent it, and he says, it will not return void. Now, he sends it, but he doesn't return it. You have to return it. Amen? He doesn't do the returning. And so I, I like to call this, uh, and, and if you can just imagine in your mind, uh, up here on the platform, let's say as high as this screen is here, and let's just, you know, you've got a good imagination, and you can just imagine from side to side and bottom to top is actually this large circle. You see that, don't you? Sure you do. There is a circle or a cycle of God's blessings that comes through the Word. Now, at the top of the circle, of course, is God sending His Word down to us. And it finally gets down to where we are. Now, if we don't do something with it, that's as far as it goes. You know people, all of us know people, that have heard the Word, they even know some Scripture, but they're doing absolutely nothing with it. Nothing. People do that with Scriptures concerning healing. They do that with Scriptures concerning giving and receiving. They do it with love Scriptures. They do it with family uh, wisdom Scriptures. They do it with all kinds of truths from the Word of God. It's brought to them. It's sent to them. The cycle has begun, and God did his part. He initiated it, but unless they choose to return it, it's not going to do anymore. And that's how people stay in trouble, whether it's sickness and disease or poverty or any other kind of curse. That's how people stay in trouble, is, and even though they know Scripture. And if you talk to them, they'd say, yeah, I know that's in there. They'd say, I, I read that. Yeah, I went to those services like you did. But they're not enjoying the benefits of God's promises. Why? Because that word has to be returned. And that is nobody's responsibility but yours. I can't return it for you. And you can't return it for me. It's our job individually. Now, how do we return uh, a word? By speaking the word. If it is a word, if that's the, if that's the thing that's been sent from, from the top down, then I'm going to return what was sent means I'm going to return a word. How do you return a word? By speaking the word. You see, you can have a heart full of good doctrinal truth. You can have a heart full of faith, but it will not do anything for you unless you release it. And the primary release of our faith is with our mouth. Now, there are other kinds of corresponding actions, of course, that we need to do. And, and, and when we get to those places in life, we usually know what it is we're needing to do. The Lord leads us. The Lord helps us. He gives us instruction. He gives us teachers and examples. And he really wants us to be blessed. But the primary thing is for us to speak the word, to say what he has said. And so that's why the, uh, the, the scripture here says that 
It shall not return unto me void or empty or in vain, but it shall accomplish. So if it's a healing scripture that accomplishes what God sent it to do, what's it going to do for us? It's going to heal us. It's going to work in our bodies. It shall accomplish that which I please. If it's a, if it's a verse concerning uh, prosperity, if it's a verse concerning increase, then what will that do? That will release increase into our lives. And I can tell you that you will never be bold about any of these areas unless you're full of the word. Boldness is always tied to fullness. Boldness is always tied to fullness. And if we're not full of the word, if we're tentative, if we're unsure, we'll never be bold. And this is not something we just try. This is something we do. Somebody said, well, what if you try that stuff and you die? Well, I'd rather die confessing the word of God as to die in unbelief. I don't want to meet God. And his question to me be, why did you not believe what I told you? I want to I believe him, don't you? So he says, it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now, I want you to think for a minute about that, that phrase, I sent it. There's a purpose why God sends his word. And the purpose of sending the word is for that word to come to pass. He didn't just send us truths to think about. These are not principles we go, hmm. They're, they're not things we just sit around in a coffee shop and debate back and forth. These are truths that have a purpose for being delivered to us. And the purpose is that what they say comes to pass. The power of the event or the happening or the purpose of a word is in the speaking of that word. The power of the gospel is in the proclaiming of the gospel. The power of healing scriptures is in the proclamation of healing scriptures. The power of abundant supply is in the confession of the scriptures that deal with abundant supply. Amen. These truths work. And so when you confess this verse, and I'm trusting you're going to and that you do, that uh, I want you to be thinking about that as you confess these scriptures. As you're confessing all those scriptures before it and the ones after, don't forget that God says that these will not return to me void. So it's all right to say, God, I'm returning your word to you this morning. You know, if you do it in the morning, first thing in the morning, which I think is a great idea. But for you to say, God, I'm returning your word to you this morning. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I sound like. Doesn't matter what I look like. Doesn't matter what anybody says. I know what you said. And Lord, you told me that I would never return your word and it be void. So I'm expecting it to work in my life. And I want to thank you for it. And you can just have a little shouting spell. And you may need to get up out of your chair and dance a little bit. Amen. And I'm not just making a joke. I'm telling you the truth. If you will get excited about the Word of God, that's when it's really going to be working for you. It's when you're excited about what God has sent to you. You know, Don't just look at this as, well, this is the preacher talked about this or, 
or brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, it works for them. No, when you open your Bible and read these promises, it's God talking to you. Amen? All right. So uh, it's important too. there's one other little point that I want to make uh, about this, and that's in the book of Psalm chapter 103 and verse 20. This is just a little side journey that is good. And I talked about this just a little bit in, uh, in prayer school yesterday. But most of you didn't get to hear it, so uh, I'm going to share a little bit about this again. In Psalm 103, in verse number 20, it says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels. So, uh, we're to, this, is, this is a message to angels. You know, not all verses in the Bible are to angels, but this one is, and we get to listen in. We get to listen to what the Lord is uh, saying uh, through the writer to, to his angels. It says, Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts. I'm sorry. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Let's read that last section again out loud together. Hearkening unto the voice of his word. One of the reasons it's so important that we verbally Return the word of God to him. There, there, are more, there are more than one reason, but one reason that's very important, not, not unimportant at all, is that when we return the word, angels hear what we're saying. The Bible says angels encamp around about them that fear him, that fear the Lord. Jesus said about children that their angels do always behold the face of my Father in heaven. And there's nowhere in Scripture that say because you grew up that you lost your angels. Have you ever thought about that? <coughs> and if an eight-year-old has an angel assigned to him, how many of you know that if it's a boy, when he's 18, he really needs angels? You know, eight-year-olds aren't driving. Eight-year-olds aren't doing crazy things that teenagers sometimes can do, you know, daredevil stuff and all the rest. My whole point here is to say your angel's still there. And he's waiting with, with much strength as is necessary to act on the voice, notice that phrase, the voice of his word. Again, who gives voice to the word? We do. So you see, it's very important that we understand that this is a verbal exercise. It is extremely, extremely important that we speak the word of God. It is the first action of our faith. Amen. Now, Let's move along because we're, we're, uh, we're getting away with our time here. Let's move on to the next verse on the list. And that's Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 11. Where Jesus is teaching and he says, If ye then being evil, and of course he was talking to people basically saying, you know, you're a natural person. None of these people at that point had been born again yet, as we know in the New Testament way. And so he says, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. So he's, he's saying that even people that wouldn't know the Lord, 
know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more? Let's say that together. How much more? So not just a little bit more. Not maybe, but how much more shall your Father, Jesus is talking about God our Heavenly Father, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Healing is a good thing. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He went about doing good and healing, doing good and healing. How much more shall the Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Healing is available for the asking. If you've never asked yet, then you need to get to asking. God wants you to ask. He wants to give to you. Matter of fact, Jesus in this same uh, discourse was teaching, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. And so it's important for us to know that just like you as a parent want good things for your children, and if they ask, they get it, you'll provide it, just like that, God loves you even more. Even more. He is the perfect father. The greatest father. There is nobody, even today, nobody who loves you more than your heavenly father. You have no earthly relationship. No earthly love relationship. Where you are loved more than when you are loved by God. And so, as one of his children, if I were to ask him in this area of healing particularly we're talking about, this verse is saying to me he won't say no. I mean, just think about it for a minute. Is there anybody in this room that if you had a child or you have a grandchild, would you ever want them to be sick? Would you really want them to have cancer? Would you really want them to have heart disease? Would you want their life to be cut short? Would you want them to suffer pain all the time? And feel bad all the time? No, there's not a one of us that would want that for any of our children. Or, you know, actually, I, don't, I wouldn't want that for anybody. And certainly not my family. And so, we got to understand, God is a better father than any of us. He's a better parent than any of us are. And so... The idea that God puts sickness and disease on people is totally unscriptural. Let me say something that I've said before, but it's worth repeating, and I'll repeat it again, I'm sure, in the future. But there is nothing God has redeemed you from that he's putting on you. He has already put it on somebody, and that somebody is Jesus. Jesus, as our substitute, already took our sins, our infirmities, our sicknesses, our diseases, our shame, our rejection. He became what we were so we can be what he is. God is not putting anything on you that's already been laid on Jesus. That would even be illegal in the economy of God. It just isn't going to happen. So the idea that, well, somehow or another... 
God is putting sickness and disease on people to teach them lessons or to get them saved. You know, one of the things that I've heard in my lifetime, probably many of you have as well, is people say, well, you know, uh, I believe God, you know, let this happen. He wanted, I don't know if they'd say he wanted it to happen, but in other words, uh, if they hadn't got uh, terminally ill, then they probably would have served the devil and went to hell. And so God did them a favor by letting them have cancer or letting them have a, a fatal heart attack or something. Let me, let me say a couple of things and try to be nice about it. <laughs> the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. We know from the study of the scripture that there is nobody God loves more than he loves you. He loves us all equally the same, and he loves us all totally, completely, eternally. He couldn't love you more than he already loves you. He doesn't love you more because you're saved than when you were unsaved. He just gets to do more for you because you're positioned now in the family to receive from him. But he loves Absolutely. He loves totally and he loves eternally and completely. Amen. So, if he's no respecter of persons and he loves everybody the same, and he is making people sick, terminally ill, because he sees that they're going to live their life out and go to hell if, if they don't have terminal illness, then why wouldn't God do that for everybody? Why wouldn't everybody that's uh, going you know, on their way to hell, why wouldn't he give them all cancer? And if we truly believe that those kinds of things are somehow good gifts from God, then why wouldn't we just pray, God, you know, let's, let's, let's rev it up here. Give them all cancer. And if this sickness and disease is truly from the Lord, why would we go to a doctor? We're not opposed to doctors. I certainly am not. But if we truly believe it's God's will for me to be sick, why would I do anything to try to combat it? You see, some of these arguments are absolutely stupid. And it's amazing to me how that people that can be very educated and intellectually they are sharp. I mean, they're, they're smart folks. But there is something that happens when people walk through the doors of churches that seems to, not in every case, certainly not in your case, but I mean that there are situations where pe whole congregations of people can sit, smart people, educated people, sit there and swallow hook, line, and sinker the most ridiculous line of thinking you can imagine. And it would be bad enough if that was happening about any particular relevant subject. But for that to be happening where God is concerned is a travesty. That God would be blamed for what the devil does. And that God's blamed for uh, the failures of fallen man. That's ludicrous. God is a good God. God is a wonderful father. And God has sent his word. To heal us. 
He sent his word. He didn't send sickness to save you. He sent Jesus to save you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's close with this last verse for the night. And uh, it's found in James chapter 1 and verse number 17. It's the next one on our list. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift. So we're not leaving any out. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Not Las Vegas. Not New York. Not Amazon. But every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down. So he's emphasizing that these gifts he's talking about actually are coming from somewhere other than this world. This world doesn't produce these kinds of gifts. You can't find this in the world. Now, you might find some good stuff in the world. You may find some help in the world in certain ways, in certain areas. But what he's talking about here, these good and perfect gifts, they come only from above. And cometh down from the, there's the word again, Father of lights. Now, this coincides with what Jesus told us in John 10 and verse 10. St. John 10, 10. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. And that's the God kind of life. The Greek word there is zoe, meaning life as God has it, life as God knows it, life in the absolute sense, life that originates in the spiritual dimension affecting the rest of our life. He says, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. <coughs> I think in the Amplified it says, <coughs> to the full till it overflows. Now, those are the kind of things that come down from the Father of lights. So that's where healing's coming from. So my... Uh, my kind of closing exhortation to you about healing is you want to seek God and you want to worship the good father the good God that we know you want him to be all in all in your life you want him to be first and foremost you want to do those things which please him but you also want to throw yourself over on the mercies of God so let me ask you this question how do you see God I mean, just answer this for yourself on the inside. Really, how do you see God? Is your, is your picture of God still tainted by religious teaching that taught you something to the effect of, maybe not in these words, but yet somehow it translated into this image inside of you of this old guy that's kind of easily aggravated, short-tempered, you don't want to cross him, impatient, not very happy. Is your picture of a God who, uh, when we talk about what you would expect from him, that's another question, what do you expect from him? Would it be you would expect that he would slap you down? Do you expect that he would make you sick? Do you expect that he would be kind of short and hateful with you? Is that your picture of God? And if your picture of God is twisted, if it is not scripturally accurate, then I, I want to ask you this question, not for you to get mad at anybody, not for you to hold any grudges against anybody of your past, but ask yourself the question, who shaped that view? You know, it's really important who you listen to 
when people talk about God? Who's telling you about God? Because if people don't really know him, they're not qualified to tell you anything. That went over so big, I want to say it again. If people don't really know God, they're not qualified to tell you about God. Years ago, the Lord spoke to me and he said, don't listen to people who don't listen to me. Don't listen to people who don't listen to me. And I knew that he meant in the area of doctrine and teaching. I knew he, he didn't mean I couldn't watch a decent TV show or a decent movie or whatever. <clears throat> or, you know, watch a YouTube video to tell me how to fix something on my sink or something. That's not what I mean. But when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to spiritual life, when it comes to um, uh, truths that can change your life, I want to hear somebody who knows what they're talking about. I want to hear someone who can bring me the word of God and who they themselves are at least making an attempt to live that word and it's beginning, at least beginning to manifest in their life. Now, God in his word has clearly revealed himself. And I want to just remind you that we are new covenant people. We are born again by the Holy Ghost, begotten by the word. We are spirit-filled people. When we read the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, when we read Ephesians chapters 1 through 6, and all those New Testament epistles, we're reading letters written to us. And so those are the primary places in your Bible that you need to allow the Lord to reveal himself to you. The Bible is progressive revelation. The people in Jacob's day didn't know all the things that you know today. The Bible actually tells us in the New Testament concerning Old Testament prophets that they wanted to see this day. They knew that God had something better than what they had. And they knew it was reserved for a coming generation. And according to Peter's writings, we're that generation. Think about that. You sit in a place hearing things and you enjoy a relationship with the Almighty God through covenant and because of the blood of Jesus that Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, and Joshua, and Caleb would have loved to enjoy. They were powerful. They did mighty exploits. They had wonderful lives. But they didn't have what you have in their relationship with God. Not to that full extent. And so we need to look at the New Testament picture. That's our covenant. And we need to let that paint the picture not only of who God is. That's the first and most important part. But listen carefully. You need to let the New Covenant tell you who you are. And I have been doing this for years. I'm still working to renew my mind because there's just so much there that's really the natural mind can't receive it. it. It takes the mind of Christ. You have to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him to be able to fully grasp. I, I mentioned a scripture um, in a declaration of faith I made on Sunday morning before I got into the message for the morning. And I mentioned John the 15th chapter where Jesus prayed to the Father that we would, his disciples, those who believe on him through their message, and so that would include us, that we would know that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. I'm still working to get my mind around that. 
I made a little progress, but that is such a powerful truth. I'm sure I do not fully grasp what all that means. That the Almighty God loves me like he loved Jesus. Like he loves Jesus. And read John 15 if you don't think I'm telling you the truth. It's in there. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I want to say one other thing before we go. When these good and perfect gifts from above come to us, then by faith, when we receive it, faith always says, it's mine. I have it now. I'm not trying to get it. I'm not hoping for it. I have it. One of the ways you know faith is operating in your life is when your conversation moves from the future tense to the present tense. If you're always saying, I'm going to have it, when I get my healing, I believe someday. I'm not trying to be unkind and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm trying to help you. That's not faith. That's hope and it's wonderful. But faith says, I have it. And, and, and it says, it's mine now. And that's my confession and that's what is my expectation. And so I'm not basing it on what I see in the mirror. I'm not basing it on the, the uh, printout from the tests and the lab results or whatever. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. That's, that's okay. Those are facts perhaps. But there is a higher truth that I'm basing my life on. Can you say amen? amen. So you see, uh, when you pick up this card and you start saying these scriptures, you know, in the beginning, maybe it doesn't seem like there's that much there. But my goodness, there's a ton of stuff here. There's a ton of stuff here. We just got through tonight the first side. So we've got all the back side to go. And I don't know, we may be here to, to Valentine's Day. But it's all right. Praise the Lord. These will change your life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the anointing that destroys yokes and removes burdens. We thank you, Lord, that there's nothing <coughs> too hard for you. And we magnify you and glorify you and give you praise. And Lord, there might be somebody here tonight who's battling something physically. I join my faith with them now. And if that is you, just, just right where you're sitting, just, just lay your hands on your own body. Let's come into agreement. We ask you, Lord, for that good, perfect gift of divine healing. Manifest, Lord, your power to take away sickness, to take away disease, to take away pain, and to take away symptoms. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. And we believe that we receive right now and from this moment forward, that's our confession of faith, and we expect our body to line up. We expect the symptoms to go and we expect the restoration to come where it's needed so that we walk in the health of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well,